When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What's up, everybody, and welcome into the 122nd episode of the Uptempo Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Lane, and tonight we are here to talk about the Pitt Panthers. We have the host of Locked on Pitt, Nick Faribault, and he is here to break down the West Virginia game from Thursday night. What a huge win it was. We want to talk about Pat Narduzzi, Keaton Slovis, the wide receiver core, uh, those linebackers in D-line. What a great night they had. The secondary for Pitt coming up huge, man. Uh, what a great game it was. The backyard brawl. We're going to talk all about it. Uh, just a, a really, really great rivalry and a hell of a night for college football it was, man. Uh, it was it was fascinating. What a great game. We can't take an 11-year drought again. I know that. So uh, really excited to have Nick, and, and we're going to get him on the phone right here. We're going to kick it over to Belly Up Sports Network, and then we're going to get after it. Here we go. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Welcome back in, everybody, and today we are joined by a very special guest. He is the host of Locked on Pit. His name is Nick Faribault, and man, uh, we're here to talk about the West Virginia game and the backyard brawl, and we're excited to have Nick. Nick, man, how you doing this evening? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm back here at Brawl. was back, and it was absolutely glorious in, in every sense of the word. I, I loved it. Yeah, Nick, man, uh, an absolute heat piece of a game. I mean, just everything that you could imagine going down in a football game. I mean, it actually happened. I mean, uh, we saw JT Daniels get pressured and, and hit. We saw taunting penalties, man. We saw uh, Keaton Slovis escape pressure and make just a big-time throw on the run. And, and uh, it was just like just right after another, man. Uh, it, it was it was hellacious. I mean, it had me and my father-in-law on the edge of our seats, man. It, it was just uh, from from – opening kick to the very last second i mean literally the very last second uh they had to review a catch at the goal line i mean it, it was insane it was one of the best football games i've ever watched man it, it really was and there was a lot of dumb plays on both sides there was a lot of great plays on both sides it was pure chaos that's why i love this type of week one rivalry game these 
you know, especially after 11 years, there was so much pent up energy there. You could tell, and mm-hmm. they just sparked it right away. Like there was nothing that held them back. This felt like a rivalry that had happened year after year. And it felt like these players had been in this position year after year, but that hatred was all there. The fans just brought that energy. And then you saw Slovis start out really bad. And then mm-hmm. he ended up making the big play at the end. And you saw Rodney Hammond turn into, he's such a God mode at, at running back. And mm-hmm. you saw Bryce Ford Wheaton go from hero to zero, <laughs> literally for West Virginia. It was insane. What a game. And, and everything about this game is what makes college football great. Oh man, yes, I absolutely agree, man. Uh, Nick, I wanna I wanna start out with Pat Narduzzi, man, and uh, just the job that he has done at Pitt. And you know, last year you have the great season and you win the ACC championship and uh, you know ten wins and all that great stuff, man. And and this year, you know, everybody's like, well, they lost Kenny Pickett, they lost Jordan Addison. Uh, we're just not that high on Pitt, you know. I, I've heard a lot of people just just say, "Well, you know, they lost Pickett, and and it's over with." But then you bring a guy in like like Slovis, and you bring a, a wide receiver in who who made some big plays last night, and and you know your defensive line and your linebackers are just absolutely phenomenal, man. I mean, <laughs> that group right there uh, is they are hell, man. They really are. So uh, one thing I want to ask you, Nick, is is the job that Pat Narduzzi has done, how has he gotten this city just behind him, and, and what does he mean to this program, man? Yeah, it, it, he fits a certain culture in Pittsburgh very well. Mm-hmm. And I know the stereotypical, when you think of the Steelers, right, you think of that blue-collar steel town type. And Pittsburgh isn't necessarily that anymore because it's a little bit different now. But Pat mm-hmm. Narduzzi has that kind of hard work mentality where he goes to fight for his guys and he will go down with his guys. Mm. And so he, he consistently goes out there and puts that type of reputation on. And so that's what he has done. He rallies behind his players. His players love him. I know Pat Narduzzi says some stupid things at times, <laughs> um, and, and that clearly showcases itself through some press conferences, but his players will run through a wall for him. Mm-hmm. And it's because of how he fights for them and how he'll back them, how loyal he is to his players, to Pitt. And that's how he's built this whole thing, because... Mm. Progressively speaking, they've gotten better, 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 better each and every year. He's recruited better. But the players have a certain culture here at Pitt that really fits the town, and they fight for their coach. And Pat Narduzzi has melded that so well, I think, in terms of what he has done. Because there are there are guys that don't fit in Pittsburgh. or Because mm-hmm. we've seen guys come through the Pitt program, come mm-hmm. through here, that just don't fit this type of mentality, right? And Pat Narduzzi does. He's that real type of grind him out, loyal guy, fiery type of guy. If you think Dave Wanstead back in the day, that mm-hmm. was a Pittsburgh guy thrown through. And, and Narduzzi from Youngstown, Ohio, not very far from Pittsburgh either, so he kind of understands the regional kind of influence and, and what fits in everything. So he's kind of grown up around this kind of energy his entire life. And, and he emulates so so well here you could tell that his team feeds off it too and, and that's why his city and the program and everything has just gone up because they rally around what Pat Narduzzi does he has that kind, kind of aura around him but Nick man uh you know speaking of that I, I kind of noticed that you know pre-game Pitt was warming up and everything and they had the mic'd up uh the mic'd up deal and Narduzzi calls 
pit to him and and they run from the end zone to him and everything and you know he's he's high-fiving them and everything and, and they're getting riled up and everything and all of a sudden he catches a player i don't know who it was but he catches a player and he says hey tuck in your freaking shirt all right and that right there man it, it it to me it speaks volumes because there's a standard there okay and uh i just think like when i see stuff like that that players respond and he holds a standard and the players listen to him and he said it multiple times man on air they were picking it up on the mic he looked at him and he said tuck in your freaking shirt okay and the player immediately started tucking it in and he said hey we we do things a certain way here at Pitt, and we're going to be taken as as a national uh, as as a national brand, and you're going to take us serious. and And I just love that about Narduzzi, man. I think he's created uh, something serious there at Pitt. Yeah, that goes back to the cultural thing. He's done mm-hmm. that both on the field and off the field in the community. Pitt is so so involved in Pittsburgh, uh, and that's been something else that you see in the classroom too. You know, this is a Pitt unit that really does do a lot of things that just aren't on the field but the off the field stuff that they do translates on the field they are really a quality group of individuals too um so i think that's the thing he's recruited good players but he's also recruited great young men and Mm -hmm. that's something that i think also translates to what you're seeing Uh, i mean he doesn't bend for much right Mm -hmm. i mean the quarterbacks at pitt uh the time i can remember this is the quarterbacks at pitt before Kenny Pickett came, was supposed to wear knee braces. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of Pat Narduzzi's things. He caught Kenny Pickett not wearing knee braces one day, and Kenny Pickett was the one that broke that standard. That was a long-standing <laughs> thing in practice, and Kenny Pickett got him to uh, got him to bend on that one because he's Kenny Pickett. Yeah, um, but but you know, but you know, Narduzzi is is that guy that holds everyone to a standard, and you better meet that standard and stuff like that. Those are the little things that keep it up, and again. It's not like he's like super strict or or a, or a hard ass. He definitely mm-hmm. is at times and all that. But uh, you know, he holds into a standard, and there is no one that the pit players would rather play for. They'll run through the wall for him. Mm, man, uh, Nick, I want to I want to hop in here and into this football side of things and and talk about the game. Man, uh, Kadon Slovis, I, I want to talk about the quarterback position first. Uh, replacing Kenny Pickett, the transfer in from USC. Both guys last night from USC. Uh, what were your thoughts on on Slovis's play? I know he went sixteen of twenty four for three oh eight and one touchdown. Man, uh, uh, just just let me hear your your opening game thoughts on him. Yeah, I think the box score looks better than he actually was. Okay, um, I didn't think he had his his stuff for the most part today, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's the thing. I I went back and watched it today, and I was like, okay, were my live viewing thoughts correct? And I think they largely were. Um, mm-hmm. I think that he create a lot of pressure for himself. A lot of people blame the offensive line. I think it was Keaton Slovis' pocket management. Uh, running mm. into a lot of pressure, essentially sacking himself as a result of that. And I thought that was a, a big thing. And he also really didn't go through progressions very well, so he had to go off his first read, man, which he stares down a lot. Mm-hmm. He, he got happy-footed and kind of just panicked and went and, and went haywire. Uh, he, he had some really negative plays, took some really bad sacks and it's really questionable throws at that. Missed Kanade Monkfield uh, on what should have been a touchdown on the very first play of the second half. 
he was wide open. He missed mm-hmm. that one. Uh, should have thrown a pick on a bad comeback route that he did not see the corner coming back on. Uh, he had a lot of rough edges to this game. I didn't think it was his best stuff, but I thought it was pretty consistent, actually, with what he did at USC last year when he easily had his worst year of his college career. But I do think that there's something to be said about the guts of that kid mm-hmm. to come back in. They're down 31 to 24. He's essentially in the mud at that point. He had, he probably didn't look any. I think he looked probably the worst there at the beginning of that fourth quarter, where he got sacked twice in a row, took a terrible sack, and then hit a punt again. Um, and then West Virginia went up thirty-one twenty-four, and it was up to him, and, and he had to do something because the run game wasn't working. It was Keaton Slovis's time. Yep. It was going to score a touchdown. He had to do it, and what did he do? Well, he responded and drove him down the field. 92 yards and six plays mm-hmm. and got him into the end zone. I thought that took a lot of guts. And I think that's speaking to Keenan Slovis' leadership and his and his kind of mentality of this game. I thought that was very impressive. I thought he had some good flashes. I think he has a good arm. Um, I don't think he's going to be Kenny Pickett, but he doesn't have to be Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he stepped up when they needed him, when it was 31-24, and Pitt doesn't get a touchdown on that drive, who knows what happens. I thought that was the biggest thing there. He came up when they needed him. And I thought there was a lot to be optimistic about, but he definitely didn't have his best stuff. But when it mattered, I thought Keenan Slovis rang the bell. Yeah, man, I definitely agree. That, Like you mentioned, that drive to tie it up right there, man, that was guts. And uh, it, it was big time. I, I tweeted a couple times. I said, man, I said he's, he's starting to find himself and he's starting to throw some dots out there. He's starting to, uh, he's starting to find his form. And... Look, he come away with a dub, man, and and I think he's only going to get better. And uh, I wanted to I wanted to ask about you know what were your thoughts on the receivers and the guys that he was throwing to, man. I know you guys lost Jordan Addison to USC, and but they're still one of the most talented rooms in the land, man. Nick, how do you feel about those guys? Yeah, well, I think they should be utilized more. I didn't think they mm-hmm. passed the ball enough. I thought they ran the ball too much in mm-hmm. this game. I think it was like 38 rushes to 23 pass, or 24 passes, um, which just is not a good good enough uh, ratio to where I, I thought the receivers were doing very well. Uh, mm-hmm. I cannot even field 14 for Pitt. I think he's really good. Um, freshman All-American last year at Akron, but he looks great. He's a crazy good route runner. Uh, and every time he runs his routes, I can't help but see a little bit of Jerry Judy in his games. So mm. He's he's a stud. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was key on that last drive, too. Caught two really key balls. Uh, Jared Wayne, very, very good. Uh, behind those two, though, you it's kind of a question mark. Bud Means went through it, and he had that bad fumble. Dropped the deep mm-hmm. pass when he came back, made a few plays. I mean, a really tough catch on that drive. Again, a lot of this was some of those guys that just came in for pick. You know, some of the new guys, even the offense coordinator, Franks and Nate, just kind of learning things and stepping up when they needed to. I thought it spoke a lot to Pitt's winning ability and kind of their experience, what they've gone through in the hard times. Um, but I think this receiving group, it's a deep group. It's a very talented group. You have Jalen Bard and Jaden Bradley there, too. Two young guys that Pitt really likes. Um, and then you look at the skill room. Uh, aside from that, you have Gavin Bartholomew, the tight end, who probably should be involved more, but he's a really good tight end mm-hmm. in that running back room. Uh, I really like Pitt's running back room. And Rodney Hammond last night was something serious. And I'm telling you right now, that guy is going to be a very good running back Absolutely. Uh, at the next level. I think he's going to be an NFL guy. Um, and, and Izzy Abanikanda coming up with that big touchdown, too, didn't have his best game. I don't think he was completely revved up to the physicality that he was going to experience in this game. Mm-hmm. But 
he got it near the end. And when Hammond got hurt, he made the big play. This skilled group, it's a newer group because, again, you don't have Jordan Addison and you don't have some of the other guys we had last year. Mm-hmm. But they're very talented. I think they're only going to get better with time. I think we really saw them grow as the game continued on. Yeah, Nick, I, I absolutely agree, man. They're, that pit offense, uh, the extreme, extreme amounts of talent over there, man. But, Nick, I want to hop over to the defense, and I know you made one of the biggest plays uh, of the year right there in the in the very first game, late in the fourth, to win it, man. Uh, I want to talk about this secondary. I, I know, uh, you know, that they, they gave up some yards, um, you know, in, in some key spots. But, man, I thought they did a really, really good job last night. Could Could I get your thoughts on them? I thought they were pretty good too, man. Yeah. I think for what West Virginia did, I think that a lot of people, if you look at what JT Daniels is, box score wasn't what his actual tape was. Mm-hmm. I think you'd be surprised. I didn't think, you know, JT Daniels was a gamer and everything and all of that, but I thought Pitt got to him a lot. Mm-hmm. It was because the secondary, I thought, was ice tight on a lot of their receivers. I thought that they were really, really good. Um, I think MJ Devonshire, who had that game-winning pick six, of course, was phenomenal. Um, because you look at Bryce Ford Wheaton against A.J. Woods, A.J. Woods battled a lot, too. Uh, I like A.J. Woods, but when you looked at MJ Devonshire, when he went up against Bryce Ford Wheaton, Ford Wheaton kind of went out of the game for a while there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought he was huge. Marquez Williams on the other side, five, all five nod of him getting that absolutely massive forced fumble while blocked by a six and four guy. Just an unbelievable play right there. I think that's the most underrated play of the game that people don't remember after Buck Means had fumbled on a play that he probably would have been gone for mm-hmm. or a touchdown, to be quite honest with you. He was untouched and fumbled. And then Williams, like three plays later, against a guy that is six foot four, fights off a block and forces a fumble with one hand. I mean, that mm-hmm. was an unbelievable play. And then you look at the safety play, and those guys were good too. Brandon Hill looked great. I thought Eric Hallett was really good. Rashad Battle at corner made a few really big tackles on that fourth down. Uh, so you look at the secondary, man. It, it was a gutsy performance by the secondary. Mm-hmm. And, and quite frankly, I think this is one of the more encouraging signs of this entire pit team right now. The secondary looked that good week one, mm-hmm. and they fought that hard. I think as they go on through the rest of the schedule, I think the secondary is going to be only better. I think they have a chance to be one of the better secondaries in the ACC. Mm, man, uh, with with that defensive front, man, and and if that secondary plays that well, uh, Pitt's going to be a tough out. And, and Nick, man, I know week two, uh, you, you you guys welcome the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, what what I just want to ask you real quick, what can I expect in week two uh, from this Pitt team, man? How do you how do you feel about this matchup with Tennessee? It's a tough one. It's mm-hmm. a real tough one because I'm a big Hendon Hooker believer. Um, oh, yeah. I like what Josh Heifel's doing down there in Knoxville. Um, I think that they have a lot of talent on that team. You look at the guys like Jabari Small, Cedric Tillman, mm-hmm. uh, Princeton Fant. Like, there are so many good players on that offense, um, including, obviously, Hendon Hooker, who is a dangerous player himself with his legs or his arm. Uh, that's just a really tough matchup for Pitt. But they're going to need to score a lot. They're going to need to work out some of the kinks that they had in this game, I think the biggest thing is going to be how this team handles success. Because you mm-hmm. look last year, when Pitt lost, it was after big wins, right? They went to Knoxville last year, beat Tennessee, came back, lost to Western Michigan. Mm-hmm. They, they win a huge game against Clemson at home, and they lose to Miami. Um, so that was the big thing, was like, okay, after a big win, can you come back the next week and handle business? And I think that's 
something we're going to learn about Pitt. Can they handle success this year? Mm. If they win this game, there's a good chance they're going to go to the top 20, you know, not just to the top 15, yeah. maybe the top 10. I mean, yeah. it would be a huge win for Pitt. So I, I look at Pitt right now against Tennessee, and I say they're going to probably spread the ball out more. I mm. think that they're not going to run as much because they're going to have to keep up with this Tennessee team. Uh, I think what they're going to end up doing is they're going to use Keaton Slovis a lot more. They're going to use this receiver room and kind of flex their receiver talent a little bit more. I think it's going to be a vastly different looking offense. And I think this game is going to be a pure blooded shootout. Mm. I mean, we're talking about a game that, you you know, last year was 41-34. We're talking about a game that could be 45-42, somewhere in that range. I think this one's going to be an absolute just mud draw completely out uh, to the <laughs> final whistle. Yeah, man, I love to hear that. I can't wait. That's a big matchup uh, next week, and uh, it's it's going to be a fun one, man. It's going to be a fun one, a lot of offense. But, uh, Nick, man, there was some uh, – well, first, let me ask you this, man. Let me ask you this. Before we get to the breaking news in college football today, uh, I, want, I want a floor for this Pittsburgh team, and then I also want a ceiling, Nick. Uh, what could this, piss, uh, this Pittsburgh team potentially be? Yeah, uh, Pitt at their best are going to be – probably ACC champions. Mm. I think that is their ceiling. Um, we're talking about a 10-2, maybe even 11-1 team. Because here's the thing. One of the losses you point to on the schedule is Tennessee. Well, if they beat Tennessee, who do they realistically lose to next? If you look down their schedule, mm-hmm. Miami, like that's the next one that I would point to because, quite honestly, as we know, the ACC Coastal is not exactly <laughs> phenomenal. And, and their Atlantic draw this year is Louisville. Now, Louisville's a a decent team this year, but I don't think they're anything great. That should be one pit handle. So yeah. if Pitt beats Tennessee, they could theoretically run the table to Miami. Um, but I don't want to say this year is 12 and 0. I think that's a little bit too aspirational. I don't think this team is quite that talented. Um, so I'd say their ceiling is like an 11 and 1 team if they win this game. Uh, I think they'll stumble along the way somewhere. Pitt always seems to lose a weird game that they probably should lose. Uh, mm-hmm. So that probably happens at some point. Maybe it's like North Carolina, Virginia, someone like that. Um, that has a talented team, like, a, you know, Brian Armstrong comes in, mm-hmm. he's so good for Virginia, and, and shocks Pitt. Um, that could happen. Um, but I think that's the ceiling. Their floor is probably like 8-4. and four. Um, we, Maybe because some of the flaws we saw last night don't exactly fix themselves. And, you know, Slovis ends up being kind of who we saw last night, who maybe can come up in those big scenarios. But they kind of falter. They end up being more of a middle-of-the-pack ACC team than a top-of-the-pack ACC team. And mm-hmm. they look as how they would, and they kind of stagnate. So that's what I kind of think. I think it's, it's going to be a good team, though. This is a really good team. I tend to think they're going to finish 9-3, 10-2, somewhere in the middle there. Okay. But I think that they're, they've got a high floor with a pretty good ceiling because their schedule, frankly, is not that bad. Mm. Yeah, man, um... That's that's good stuff right there, Nick. Uh, uh, another ACC championship. I, I could see it from Pitt, man. They're they're they got a good club over there. Uh, Nick, man, look, there there was breaking news earlier in college football, man. Uh, expanding to a twelve team playoff. I gotta get your thoughts, man. Uh, I think this is huge news for college football. It definitely is, and for teams, especially like Pitt, and I say that because Pitt would have been in the college football playoff last year if they had. If, if it had existed last year, like yeah. just teams like that, um, you know, a group of five teams now. If you're a really good group of five team, like a Cincinnati or a UCF or even as far back as TCU, Boise State, 
um, we're talking about you in the playoff now. You mm-hmm. get the chance to prove it. And I think that's the cool thing about this is you have an opportunity to prove yourself, right? There's mm-hmm. is the opportunity now for a Cinderella team. You don't have to – if you lose one game and you slip up and you aren't perfection, right, you lose week one to, say, a really good team. Mm-hmm. But you run the table from there and you improve and you're one of the best teams in football, like at Utah from last year, right? Mm-hmm. Utah started off the season a little shaky, ended the season as one of the better teams in college football and went to battle with Ohio State and the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, like stuff like that. I think those types of teams are going to be super dangerous and super fun teams to look at because college football. The progression isn't always linear. Teams start out hot and teams cool down at the end, or they start out cold and they get hot. And so you can have a really good 10-2 and team that could knock off a 12-0 and team. And I think it's a good thing because people always say, you know, the four teams, there's only like three teams in college football that can win a national championship. And probably that will be true. You know, the Alabamas of the world, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, those teams are probably still going to be your top dogs, and they're obviously always going to be until something changes, like a Nick Saban retiring or something like that. <laughs> um, but I think what it does is it opens up the floodgates. It opens up a different cachet of possibilities, and there is that possibility that a team comes through and has that magical year and has that ability mm. to make that run because they're so much better than they were at the beginning of the season. I think that's what this allows. You don't have to be completely perfect anymore. Now you can take a loss, learn from a mistake, and bounce back. And it also gives those lesser schools, the Cincinnati's, the UCS, the Boise State's, the TCU's, um, these types of schools that have those special seasons, it gives them the opportunity to legitimize themselves and say, we weren't just a really good group of five teams. We were one of the best teams in college football, period. And you're going to see why. And I think that's why uh, this just makes it more fun. There's certainly possibility for blowouts and all that. I understand that. But I think the diversification of the college football playoff is everything that college football needs. Mm, man, that's great stuff right there, Nick. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Hey, I'm a fan of four. Uh, I'm down here in SEC country, man. Um, I, I love the four teams. But – I'm I'm open I'm open to to seeing if this can uh, if this can work on me and and move on me a little bit maybe I'll like it but uh, I I have just grown to love the four teams and you know a lot of people say that's SEC bias and all that but um, I just think I don't want the I don't want the regular season getting drowned out man I really don't like I I my thing with this man is is I want perfection, and I'm I'm here in Alabama, man. I'm a huge Auburn fan, but I look at Alabama's program, and Nick Saban strives for perfection. Right? And and if you if you slip up once, you know, hey, you're you're still probably going to get in there. Um, but now I think that you're inviting teams with like you know three losses. You know, I I don't want to see a three loss team in a playoff uh i i just feel like it's it's just losing the um, just you know losing the the pride of college football man the just the good stuff that we used to be at and uh, it's it's just kind of scary to me i don't know we could get in there next year and it go to 12 teams and uh we see a lot better first round games and i had joe smeltzer on here a while ago uh earlier from penn state man and and he kind of made a good point he said look 
you know, these first round games, you've been getting a lot of blowouts. Well, now with 12 teams, Blake, he said, you're going to get, you know, you're, you're probably your first four teams get buys, and then you're going to have five play 12, and you're going to get really, really good first round games. And so, like, people are going to be more attracted to watch that instead of watching a a bowl game where so-and-so sits out and it's a bunch of backup players and, you know, and he was like, so I think it will draw uh, more people to be more interested into the playoff. And, and, you know, I, I think both of you made really good points and that's why I think it could potentially end up working on me. So, uh, hey, I, I, I still I still think college football is headed uh, in a great direction. I was a little scared there for a minute, but, hey, Thursday night, it showed me that college football is alive and well. And for all the people out there who said NIL was going to kill uh, kill kids of uh, competing and uh, he makes more money than him and everything, it wasn't a great night for those cats. So uh, because we saw we saw two hellacious football games with the backyard brawl and then Penn State and Purdue, man, it was absolutely incredible. So uh, I, I'm excited for college football season, man. Yeah, and I don't know how you can't be. And it, it, that is what I think people do overlook at times. I think we can be too reactionary. NIL mm-hmm. has been in place for 18 months. We mm-hmm. have no idea what it's going to be in 10 years. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the thing. You know, look at what NIL can do potentially in the future. It can open up maybe not as much of free agency as much as it can just opportunities for kids. And it's really just the Jordan Addisons of the world that are going to end up you know, doing what that what happened in that situation. Mm. It's not going to stop these kids like MJ Devonshire or, or even Akeem Slovis and JT Daniels from going toe-to-toe with each other like that. It's not. Uh, you're going to still have that as long as you keep some of these regional ties. I think that's going to be the big thing for college football mm. as you're moving towards, you know, uh, some super conferences here, right, with the Big Ten adding mm. USC and the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas and who knows if what the ACC and Big 12 might do or whatever happens next. I think you still need to make sure you keep regional ties in. And I think you need to make sure that you keep that open. Make sure that, you know, maybe Texas plays Texas A&M mm-hmm. and a protected rivalry in the SEC. I know that they're not in the same conference, but Pitt, West Virginia and Pitt, Penn State should be playing each other. Uh, South Carolina, Clemson, Georgia, Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. obviously, Alabama, Auburn. Uh, you mm-hmm. look at all these great rivalries. Notre Dame, USC, protect these. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan, these mm-hmm. all need protected. So what? So when I think I will actually be saying that college football will be in trouble is when the regional stuff, the, the conference stuff, starts to kind of trickle away. And mm-hmm. It just becomes almost too homogenized and there's not that special campus feel there's not that special buzz on campus because the big rivals coming in Uh, because that's the thing with when you look at college football is the NFL can't give you that feel the NFL is a Mm -hmm. great product and I love the NFL too but when you look at college football those regional rivalries that you have the, the unique feeling of rooting for one school and alma mater against that rival like a West Virginia that's 70 miles away mm-hmm. that's a special type of rivalry and that's the one thing I think they really need to make sure even in the pursuit of more money as they kind of form these conferences together I think they need to make sure they keep that fabric that makes college football so great intact 
Man, Nick, that was great stuff. Uh, I really, really, uh, really like that answer right there, man, with the uh, the geographical stuff and, and just keeping the rivalries alive, man. And, and uh, that, you know, that was one of the things that USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, I was like, come on, man. Like, UCLA and USC having to fly all the way to Piscataway, New Jersey to play Rutgers and, you know, I mean – the the travel and it just it doesn't feel right man it doesn't feel right and you know like you said losing a game like the backyard brawl for 11 years due to conference realignment uh it sucked man it sucked and i'm so glad we finally got it back and nick man i, I really appreciate you joining me today i uh, i don't want to keep you on this friday too too much longer man and uh, if you could, could you drop uh, a Twitter handle or any form of social media where my listeners can follow you? Yeah, you guys can follow me at Nick underscore Farabaugh. That's F-A-R-A-B-A-U-G-H. I post all my pit stuff over there, Locked On Pit. If you want to listen to that, learn mm-hmm. more about the Pittsburgh Panthers, make sure to check that out. Uh, but follow me over there at Nick underscore Farabaugh. Well, Nick, man, uh, I would love to have you back on the podcast, man. Uh, come on here and talk about some some pit football, maybe some Steelers football. I know you're big into the NFL. I, I assume you're a Steelers fan, correct? Yes, sir. So <laughs> big into the NFL too, and, and all of that. So okay, for sure, I'd love to come back on, man. This is always fun to talk pit, Steelers, whatever. It's always a blast because so much to talk about in football. I, oh, man. I could talk football for hours, man. I'm sure you could, too. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, just an Alabama guy and, and uh, love the game of football, man. So, Nick, I enjoyed it, man, and, and we'll talk soon. For sure, man. Appreciate you having me on. All right, man. Man, Nick Faribault, everybody. What a, what a what a wonderful, wonderful episode, man. I, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, just... Going over the the losing Kenny Pickett and bringing in Kadan Slovis and and uh, you know the the Pat Narduzzi era and the the style that he has brought to the program and the hard nosed blue collar work ethic and just uh, Pitt man ACC champs defending ACC champs and uh, with a big win in the backyard brawl is incredible man uh, what a what a fantastic night of college football thursday night was so uh appreciate nick for coming on uh, if you haven't followed him on twitter go do that go listen to the uh, locked on pit episodes you can find him on uh apple podcast and spotify and all those good things i'm sure he's up on youtube uh, so go check him out man so with that being said we're gonna wrap it up i'll hit y'all with a war damn eagle and we're out of here Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 